Welcome to the Chan with the Plan, the podcast. And in today's episode, we will be discussing the dreaded topic of what to do when you lose your job, life after the layoff. And in this episode, I have brought in Jennifer Brick, and she is a career success strategist who helps future leaders elevate and accelerate their careers. Her career path was unconventional. After graduating with a degree in criminology, she worked in the tech industry for more than 10 years, mostly in senior leadership roles. After mentoring countless team members and launching programs to help young professionals acquire the knowledge and confidence they need to succeed. She decided to leave her cushy corporate job to start her company, Capdeca Solutions, to focus on helping future leaders rise. She is also the founder of the Career Glow Up system that helps you shift success from accident to intent. So without any further ado, let's hop into the interview with Jennifer to discuss life after layoff. Hey Jennifer. Hey Max. How's your new year been so far? You know, so far so good. I've been easing into it back into the work week this or work year this week uh, and doing like all the boring planning stuff, but it's been pretty fun. So have you also taken a break from uh, all that amazing YouTube content you've been uh, rolling out week after week? <laughs> yeah, so I actually I ended up doing 12 videos in 12 days before my holiday break, which was a little bit crazy. And I I'm taking a three week break and then jumping straight back into it. Oh, great. Um, so yeah, so I wanted you to come on the show, because you're obviously a career coach, uh, career expert. And a lot of professionals uh, got hit hard with the pandemic uh, last year, many of them lost mm -hmm. their jobs. Fortunately, there's probably a good percentage that are listening that were able to recover and end up getting a job before the year's over. However, there's still mm -hmm. a good portion of professionals that are still out of work. And in mm -hmm. addition, January is also a time when companies start budget cutting or cutting from the past budget or budget yeah. evaluation, so to speak. That means there mm -hmm. may be more layoffs on top of the layoffs that already happened during COVID. So one of the things mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to you about in our discussion today is signs to look out for in terms of layoffs, as well as what to do after the layoff and how to get back on your feet. So let's start off with the very beginning. Can a professional actually tell whether they're about to lay off, get laid off in their department? Yeah, I think especially when we're talking about the big layoffs that have been happening with you know everything going on, there's definitely warning signs that people can watch out for. So one of the obvious ones is obviously paying attention to the company's revenue. Have they been meeting their revenue goals? Has the sales team been missing a lot? You know, how is the actual financial health of the company? And is there any inclination that there might be instability? Not everyone is going to know this, especially in a public com or in a private company where the balance sheet isn't being released with earnings every single quarter. You can look for things like hiring freezes. Hiring freezers are generally a precursor to layoff. Not to say that if there is a hiring freeze that you need to panic and fear for your job right away, but that sequentially is the logical place for companies to start is to kill all of the job openings that they have right now and to stop backfilling roles. Also, austerity measures, 
So if you start to see that, you know, the the belt is being tightened, you're having a hard time getting authorization to get software. Obviously, right now, not many companies are doing business travel, but that's another good indicator kind of in normal times. But if you are someone who is working with budgets, you might see those budgets contract and a harder time to get the spending that you generally wouldn't be struggling to get. Another big one, and again, these have changed shape as so many people have moved to working from home, is the secret leadership meetings. If you were on site in an office, if you saw you know, the entire leadership team huddled into an office, not talking about what they were talking about, that would be a big red flag. Now this might show up and if you're maybe G calendar stalking people as a lot of private meetings or just hearing about those meetings that are happening. Another big indicator that I've seen as well and my clients have seen has been when there's sudden executive departures. This can be en masse. Focus on when you see leadership leaving the organization voluntarily because generally when they see instability, they're going to jump ship before they have to jump ship. And the last, which is a little bit it can be a little bit traumatic, <laughs> not going to lie to you there, but you know, tapping into the rumor mill, because in most p- cases, there's going to be speculation. Now, is there speculation that is wildly incorrect? Of course there is. But when you do hear inklings of layoffs hap- happening, what I know some companies have done is when they've done layoffs, either they're progressive or they've tried to kind of keep it quiet from other teams so as to not cause, you know, huge panic when other people aren't or shouldn't be panicking. But this can also be an indicator that more be, may be coming, especially if you are hearing about certain people being laid off or teams kind of quietly being dismissed. Because until you get to the big kind of company announcement of, you know, we had to do some really hard things, there might be more layoffs that are actually coming before that announcement. And even that announcement, there still might end up being more. Those generally tend to lag by about a quarter. Well, wow, that's uh, extremely informative, uh, Jennifer. Uh, so with that being said, so let's say uh, someone listening say, oh, these are some of the signs that I've seen um, last year and mm-hmm. even the past couple of weeks in the new year. How should they prepare themselves for the uh, layoffs? So what I mean by that is, uh, let's say that uh, they go into the office mm-hmm. and then they're hiring, their manager brings them in for a quote unquote meeting. Usually, I'm assuming that once the meeting's over, that they can't get their stuff from the desk, they get escorted out, and then the remaining stuff, they get mailed to them. So how does that work? So this depends on the structure of the layoff. So if there are more isolated layoffs that are happening because of restructure, or, you know, sometimes layoffs are happening and they're kind of camouflaged in restructure because there was maybe a fit issue, those might be a little bit less conspicuous. Usually when you're in a layoff, especially if you're in a larger layoff where it's a whole team or a segment of the company, those are going to generally have notice and you will have the opportunity, you know, to go to your desk and get your things and stuff like that. It's just not an immediate, your computer system no longer works. You need to like evacuate immediately. 
though it can be, it kind of depends on your role. And, you know, there's a lot that could kind of go into that. So I won't bring you down that rabbit hole. Um, But in the actual conversation with your manager, one thing that I think to keep in mind is it's going to be an incredibly hard conversation for you to be receiving, but there's probably going to be your manager and an HR representative in the room when it does happen. And these are not a pleasant conversation for anyone. Not saying that you need to make things more comfortable for them, but I know that sometimes people feel like someone's going to be deriving joy from this. I've been personally on both sides of the conversation and I can tell you no one is experiencing joy in this conversation. Your manager does not want to be doing this. The HR you know, representative doesn't want to be doing this. Uh, so it's a hard conversation. And generally what you are going to expect is that it is going to be very respectful and they are going to be as supportive as possible, especially if this was really, you know, your manager adored you, you were always, you know, contributing, maybe your manager is even in the same boat, what you'll likely find is that they will formally or informally be offering to help you out through references, maybe introductions and things like that. Yeah. And the one thing I want to emphasize to the listeners of the show is that usually your manager is not the one that made the decision It's probably someone higher Mm -hmm. up. So if you do, if your manager does have to let you go, rest assured that it usually has nothing to do with your personal performance. It's just that the higher ups wanted uh, to cut different staff to trim budget. Is that correct, Jennifer? Yeah, it can be, you know, really often it comes down to the numbers and cents. Um, Again, it looks a little bit differently in, in different companies and it depends on the company size and structure and everything like that. But often I would say you're absolutely right. And in most cases, especially when we're talking about a big layoff, if that team is being laid off, the manager is probably in the same boat. So with that being said, the manager has to let their team go and then they get let go themselves after? Sometimes the manager has already been given notice and they are just kind of wrapping up their duties when they're handing that out. In most cases at a management level, I I have not seen them have to, you know, be laid off themselves, but then go through those conversations. But personally, one of my jobs when I was in college was at at a major bank and it, we I was at a processing center and it was moving from Vancouver to Toronto. So everyone in the entire building got laid off on a conference call. It was pretty crazy. So our managers were having conversations about, you know, the exit and transitions and support and all of those things. And they were going through it like right along with us. So it can happen, but again, it, it's a little bit dependent. <laughs> on exactly what that reorganization and the layoff looks like. Okay. And just to go back a little bit, you said you were on both sides of the spectrum. You had to let someone go and someone had to let you go. I want to really humanize the fact that the manager is not someone that wants to ruin your life. They're humans too, and they have to do what's necessary based off the higher up. So can you tell me when you had to, like, let's say, your boss said, I need you to let certain staff go because of so-and-so situation. Like, How did you plan it out and really make the person that had to be let go comfortable with the situation? So this is a time that I've always been happy that I've either worked with a fantastic human business partner or human resource business partner, or having had the experience to, to kind of learn how to navigate the process. 
Um, so I've always been in the unfortunate position where I have been involved in the conversations and it is incredibly difficult because often it ends up becoming very arbitrary and you're faced with making incredibly hard decisions, especially if it's not, you know, the whole team, if it's a matter of, okay, budgetary restrictions and now we have to make some choices. Um, you know, there is performance might be one thing that comes into play, and, you know, I've always been in client delivery roles as well. So we might be looking at things like, you know, the margins in that consultant's region or the relationships that the account manager has and things like that. Um, but yeah, they were, I'd rather not, I'm happy to be in a position right now today where I'm not having those conversations. Yeah, for sure. Going back to the, the the layout portion, why don't they just shuffle people around? Yeah, if a layoff is happening at a large organization where there are openings in different teams, most of the time, if there is something that is appropriate, you will be invited to apply, interview, and potentially take that role. But if you're at a smaller mid-sized company, like I was in startups for a few years, like most of those were driven by budgets and the fact that the company was running out of money. <laughs> so in that case, there's probably not anything for you to actually transition to. If it's a restructure and they've decided to, you know, get rid of an entire function or that the function needs to kind of be reborn in a different format, um, you know, there might be opportunities for you to, to have a role, but generally they will have played out those scenarios before you have the layoff. Now, in the case where you're looking at other areas in a big company, different story. But if you're at a smaller company, those decisions are a little bit more final and you are going to have less flexibility in terms of finding an opportunity to stay at the current company because that is probably an entirely financially driven decision. So what you're saying is when the layoff conversation happens, they've actually exhausted all their options and they have no choice but to let you go at that point, right? I think unless the leadership of the company is completely masochistic and, you know, unsympathetic and unempathetic, I really think that companies try as hard as they can to keep the team members that they have, you know, on staff because, you know, unless the layoff is because of something like a performance issue or a fit issue, they're going to want to maintain their teams because the team function was there because it was needed in the first place. And generally that's not going to completely vanish unless the business structure itself is really being transformed. Okay. And just going back to what you said about your uh, startup experience mm -hmm. in terms of like job security is, are you more likely to get laid off at a startup when there's more risk compared to a large company or it really doesn't matter? Speaking from a US perspective where there is less employee protections, I think that startups are inherently less stable because they tend to not be as nervous about litigation because they haven't been through litigation before. <laughs> um so, and most states are at will, so they have an ability to do so, and they're generally going to flex that muscle. And I think that there is that little bit of startup founder culture of like hire slowly, fire fast is what I know a lot of founders do subscribe to. Is it the best strategy? 
I personally don't think so, but I do know that it is the strategy of some. Whereas big companies, there's generally going to be a process that they're going to go through, even if they're just, you know, having to reduce spending because, you know, revenue has gone down, you're still going to have notice, they're still going to have outplacement sources, they're still going to maybe have those internal opportunities to move you into, whereas the startup is just like, okay, like, we're out of money, and we need to get to our next round of funding. So let's just do this. Um, you know, obviously not necessarily that lackadaisical or anything like that. Um, but I, I personally find that big companies do offer better stability than startups. Okay. So going back to the quote unquote exit interview. So we've already discussed that as the manager, it's usually nothing bus- uh, personal. It's just business in terms of budgeting or the company direction or what have you. So mm-hmm. what should the person taking the news should not do? Like what should they not do and what they should they do uh, during this meeting? Oh, this is a good one. I have had clients that have been through exit interviews because generally, whether you've been laid off or whether you have, you know, submitted a notification that you're going to leave, you're going to go through an exit interview. And I think that a lot of people really have this vision of going out in a blaze of glory and just, you know, really giving a piece of their mind and saying all of the things that are wrong and all of that. The reality of the exit interview is that in most cases, it truly is a formality and it's not going to have any lasting impact. It's not going to change how the company runs itself or anything like that. So leaving on a bad impression is you you can, but it's not going to do anything. In the meantime, if you decide that you're going to complain about your manager or the lack of support or something like that, that actually could end up hurting your opportunity to get, say, a referral (laughs) or a reference from people at that company. So that is one thing that I do encourage people to keep in mind is if they want to burn the bridge, is it a bridge that they want to really burn? Also keep in consideration that some industries are very small and everyone really knows everyone. Now, again, like I do think sometimes that some companies are receptive. And if you feel like there's something that can, that needs to be said, try to say it in the most diplomatic way possible. I think no matter what, even if you're not leaving on the best of terms, I think it's a good practice to make sure that even if you are raising concerns, even if it wasn't your best employment experience, even if you have a bad taste in your mouth, try to find a way to be grateful and to appreciate the opportunity and just to express your gratitude that you had that opportunity because even if it wasn't the best, like, even if it didn't go the way that you thought it would in your career, you know, um, you are going to learn something from it and that is going to pay off further down in your career. So trust that you've built up karma at least and be grateful for that. So the rule of thumb is be professional in person, but you can be ruthless on glass door, right? <laughs> you know, I have actually heard of companies pursuing litigation against glass door reviews. I truly wish that companies would be more concerned about employee experience than they would be about their glass door ratings in some cases. But if they're anonymous, the company just goes after the glass door company. They don't go after the person, right? Glassdoor publicly says that they do their best to protect, but, you know, sometimes I think like, especially it depends on the size of the company. Again, like if you're at a small company, it's not going to be secret who you are. There's going to be some sort of tell if you're leaving any sort of notable negative review. And you can always tell, like, if you look at a company's page and they have multiple posts in the same day, you can tell that there has been 
a situation where they've had to do layoffs. And some of the concerns that are being left are going to be very valid, but people are also going to be really emotionally charged. Oh, absolutely. Uh, And speaking of emotionally charged, so they've had the proper conversation with the manager, possibly the HR. They go home and now the job's not done because now they have to let their family know what happened. So what, what would you tell professionals listening right now uh, if they do get laid off, how would they tell the family about uh, this news? You know, this is, I think, the the worst part of the whole process. Like you have the shock when it happens to you of like, oh my gosh, I've, I've just lost my job. But now it's like, oh my gosh, I have to tell my family. And obviously there's going to be, you know, money concerns and everything that kind of come into play with this. You know, first of all, like take some time to yourself so that you aren't in high panic mode if you can, because you don't know how they're going to react. The other thing that I say is that if you or suggest is that if you have the chance, tell the most supportive person in your life first, because that person is going to boost your confidence. They're going to reassure you that everything is going to be okay. And that's going to make you feel better, even if you don't actually feel like everything is going to be okay. And that might not be your partner. It might not be your mom. It might not be your sibling. It might be your best friend or something along those lines. So I do recommend to start with one of those people that you know is just going to be your cheerleader right away. You know, obviously you're not going to hide it from everyone. I do suggest, you know, obviously being open and remember as well that especially if it is, you know, someone that you have financial collaboration with, I'll call it, you know, you live together, you have a mortgage together, you have a car payment together. This is impacting them as well. And hopefully they're going to be there showing up for you. Like I truly, truly hope that, but also know that this is going to, you know, have questions for them and that they might not always react in the best possible way, but that's really because they're just as afraid as you are. And I hope that they're really supportive in that moment. But if they're not, just know that it's also a shock to them, just like how it was to you. Okay, so with that being said, do you encourage uh, now new job seekers to start looking right away or should they take a break? Or what should be their, their plan of action for the first week that they've been laid off? Yeah, this is a great question. I think the automatic reaction so many people have is to, okay, I'm going to dust off my resume. I'm going to get to this right away. You know, they maybe go home and and have, you know, something to drink, <laughs> have a little bit of a sleep. And then like, it's like, okay, I'm going to like wake up and I'm going to start applying for jobs, which Max, I'm sure that you can go on, isn't always necessarily the most effective solution. Um, What I generally recommend to someone who has been through this is to take a moment, like take a day, take like take two days, take a week if you need it. I know that it's scary and that there's a sense of urgency because again, most people need a paycheck. They can't go an infinite amount of time and finding a job is going to take time. But job loss is a trauma and we have to call it what it is. And I know that that's a scary big word, but there is a trauma involved here. So you need to process this and, you know, give yourself some space to feel the feelings because really what you're going through here is you are going through grief. Even if you hated that job, even if you like wanted to quit, you were actively applying for other jobs. Now you don't have this one. And that is, 
you know, that is a change in your life and you are going to grieve for that. So I do suggest, you know, take a hot minute, take some time and, you know, ask yourself questions like, what job do I actually want next? What did I learn from this that I want to bring into my next job? Do I want to do the same thing? Do I want to be in the same industry? Ask yourself all of those questions so that when you are starting and kicking off your job search, that you're starting from a place of clarity instead of a place of fear. So just to add to that, um, in, in the, the place of fear, what I've uh, exp- what I've seen or and read is that professionals who do get up, who do end up getting laid off, they'll mm-hmm. try for let's say a month and then they don't have much luck. So what they do is they end up taking loans and then going for their masters or MBA or what have you. Do you think that's the smartest idea, or is there other approaches in terms of furthering their education without having to spend a lot of money to upskill themselves to be more marketable in their desired marketplace? <laughs> yeah, ever, the safe space to hide is always school, isn't it? You know, I think it, it does buy you time, and it can be an excuse for a resume gap that I know some people take, or maybe it's an incentive because you really wanted to go and finish your degree or get another degree or upskill in some sort of way. So if it was already on your list and something that you want to do and you have the resources to do it, or you're willing to take on the debt to do it, do it. One thing that I, especially because you know, student, the cost of education, especially in the U.S. is so high. I know like in Canada, it's much more reasonable, (laughs) but in the U.S. it's so high. So one thing that I do suggest to people before they make that jump, because it's something so many of my clients ask me, like, should I just go and get my MBA? And the question is really, do you need that degree to, to move on? You know, for example, if someone really wants to move into a technical role, They're like, oh, I'll go get a degree in computer sciences. But there's some really great boot camps, which are much more affordable and much more efficient that you can actually do to expedite the entire process. And sometimes the skills that you want to, that people are going back to school for, there's much better ways to acquire them that aren't going to incur, you know, kind of this huge overhead, um, which they're then going to have to find the ROI to justify in the long run. So that's, that's the thing. Like, I, I never want to be the person who says, you know, school is a waste of time. Don't go back to school because I'm a huge believer in education, but I much more of a I'm an advocate of education for personal fulfillment than for career fulfillment, unless you're in, obviously, like if you want to be a doctor or lawyer, then you're going to have to go back to school. Uh, Makes sense, Jennifer. And going back to what you said about um, people going back to school to fill in an employment gap. So in terms of resume, in terms of the employment gap, how far can the employment gap go before it gets to the point where recruiters are not looking at your resume? Is it, (laughs) I, I know I've helped clients that have been laid off for like six months up to a year. But then when you go to two years, three years, it might be a bit too much. So what what's the good level of layoff, quote unquote, uh, that you can still apply with a resume with, when you're not currently employed? Yeah. So this is another one I have personally. So it wasn't always as a result of layoff, but my longest resume gap is a year long when I moved to the US and I had to wait for work authorization and basically start over because I had no network. <laughs> And I wasn't even allowed to look for work until I had work authorization. Um, and, you know, again, like I mentioned, I've been through a couple of layoffs myself. I think that resume gaps seem a lot more scary than they actually are. I think as long as there's a reason and you're showing some sort of growth in between, I think if if you're listening and you've been hit by a layoff or you know that a layoff is coming and you're worried about that gap or you're worried about having to explain why you don't have a job right now in an interview, 
know that there is an incredible amount of empathy for people that have been impacted by the COVID layoffs. When someone sees your, you know, end date is in 2020, early 21, even if it wasn't, they're going to assume that that is the reason why you are in between roles. So I think that because of the situation that we're in, there is much more grace. And the same thing happened in 2008, 2009, 2010, when we hit that recession and it recovered, the exact same thing happened where, you know, employers really want to help and they don't want to, you know, rule someone out. And I think great recruiters also know that exceptional talent is being caught up in these layoffs where the company can't avoid it. They have no way to keep them. And like all of a sudden these like A plus amazing people are actually applying for jobs when they've never applied for jobs before. Right. Um, So I don't want to say that there is anything that is too long. I think when you get Pat and if you're, you know, in an earlier stage in your career, in a mid stage of your career, I think after six months, some recruiters are going to start to see it as a flag. I don't think that it's the correct assumption. I think that that kind of shows a little bit about the level of talent acquisition at the company. And for me, that actually sets off red flags, you know, controversial statement, but <laughs> I stand by it. Um, but, you know, the ATS and things like that, like kind of the 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 rigmarole of applying for jobs, it might end up dinging you. But I think that there's a lot of organizations that know how to spot talent, whether it's applying, coming in through a referral, or they're going out and finding it on LinkedIn. Yeah, and I th- personally believe that if you do have a longer uh, layoff gap, it's very hard to explain it on the resume. So with that being said, you also would recommend networking if you have been laid off for a while, right? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Like everyone that has reached out to me, you know, clients and and people that I've worked with and friends that have been impacted with what's been going on. The first thing I say is, you know, get in touch with people. You don't have to do the big LinkedIn open to work announcement. I know that makes a lot of people uncomfortable, but the people that you know, start signing into DMs and let them know that you are active because the best way to get into a job is to tell people that you're working because or is to tell people that you're looking. Right now, recruiters are overwhelmed by the applications that they're receiving. There are job hostings that are getting thousands of applications. I'm in New York City, and when I was hiring, I had 500 people applying to roles that I posted at a company that no one had heard of. So things were competitive then (laughs) when, like, there was a talent shortage and now there's a lot of talent on the market. So like those same jobs are getting a thousand applications, 1500 applications. That's going to be a challenge. But if you get referred in or if they find you, if you get a referral, someone is absolutely looking at your resume. The recruiter's eyes at minimum are going to be on it. And most of the recruiters that I work with will actually send me, like as a hiring manager, would send me directly the resumes that they got from referrals to see if it was someone I was interested in interviewing. So that is a great way. I still think the best way is to be building up a personal brand so that companies are coming to you and just making sure that you're leaving breadcrumbs of your awesomeness anywhere that they might be looking for their people. There is still this misconception at companies that great talent doesn't look for work. And it's something like 70% of recruiter time is actually going out and sourcing talent. So they have all of these thousands of applications, too much time for them to go through it. They're going to let their ATS 
run the filters. They're going to go onto LinkedIn and they're going to start searching for the person. So that is actually, in my opinion, the best way to get found. Take a step back for a sec. So you're saying that, let's say you posted a job, it's 500 applications. The recruiter will actually just let the ATS do its thing while they actually still look for more candidates to get that, uh, to get that role filled. I have spoken to countless recruiters who have a lot of trust in their ATS and they will not look through the, the resumes that have been filtered. I know great recruiters who look at every single one, but there are some, and if they're overwhelmed, like they might have 20 open recs. They don't, they don't have the capability, but if they know they can precisely go through and find the person, they're going to go and find the person. And then that person is going to have kind of the cognitive bias of they were recruited. They were already selected. So if you're found, you're going to be like a front runner, front runner coming in the door. So that's giving you a huge advantage in the recruiting cycle. Well, that, that, that's great. I didn't know that. So for all of your listeners out there, uh, definitely have an optimized LinkedIn profile because even though that these recruiters have postings, they're still looking for candidates while the ATS is doing its work on the back end. Absolutely. So I want to end this conversation with one last question. So let's say you're finally able to get, land an interview, you get the job, but it doesn't pay as much as you wanted from uh, compared to your previous job. So should you take a lower salary right now and then work there for a year or two before the economy recovers from COVID and then try to jump ship? Or what would be the best course of action from a salary perspective? I think that the first thing that you really need to ask yourself is, you know, are you in a financial position that you could walk away from an offer if it wasn't high enough? Because the like, if the honest answer to that question is no, and this is an opportunity that you know you can get some growing in, you're going to find your way to get ROI, and it's going to give you financial security right now, take the offer, as long as you actually want the job. If you do have flexibility, I do think that, you know, there is room to move. I do know, like I have heard of stories and again, like personal experience when I was a job seeker, you know, I had just moved to, I moved to the US and I was trying to find my first job and I was given a job offer by a company that was trying to take advantage of that. I was coming from a lower salary market. I was new to the country. They knew I was going to have a hard time finding a job. So they gave me an offer that was $30,000 under the market. And I said no to it. Because luckily, I was in the position where I didn't have to say yes to that offer, at least not yet. It was scary, but I did. And they actually ended up countering with a $35,000 increase on their offer. And at that point, I still said no, because there was that wasn't the only red flag with that particular opportunity. Um, you know, I this, the most interesting thing to me with salaries right now is just how wonky they've been. And this does... This is impacted by your industry. Like if you're in tech, the amount of funding that is still being given to companies is actually surprisingly high. It's definitely tightened, but the market is so disconnected from what is happening within actual companies that the salaries haven't always shrunk. I think make sure that you are polling, like take an inventory of what is actually happening with salaries around you. Even if you're in between roles, you still have the opportunity to negotiate. So again, just to kind of summarize my long answer and make it a short answer <laughs> is consider financially where you're at. And if you need to say yes to that offer, even if it's not an ideal offer, you can still continue 
applying for jobs and interviewing for jobs, even if you have to take something in between. You know, you can also consider stop gaps. You know, I, I had clients that were driving for Uber or like shopping for Instacart and stuff like that to help them, you know, make up that in between so that they had the stability that gave them the flexibility to say yes to the right offer. Um, you know, and then if you are in that position, I know it's scary when you have an offer and you don't know where the next offer will come. No matter what, if you have an offer, it is showing you that you are competitive in the marketplace today and that something else is going to come. So sometimes it takes a little bit of a trust to the universe as long as you can sustain yourself. So like that is a personal one, but that's generally the guidelines that I suggest to people to consider if they're saying yes to that job and they're going to hang for a little bit or if they say no and wait for something that's going to work. In any case, trying to negotiate. And sometimes if you actually decline it, that's where the offer skyrockets. Nice. And what would you uh, say in terms of inspiration for job seekers right now that have been laid off for COVID for quite a few months or worry about their uh, job stability right now? Like what, what would you say to them, like inspirational wise? You know, if you've been out there for a few months, you know, things where we're at a hard part now. And I know that it's hard when you have been doing everything that you can, things are going to come back to normal. Well, not normal, normal soon, but you know, there is going to be more growth. And I think that now that companies do have more stability, we do know what to expect. We are going to see more companies hiring. And one thing that I think is going to be very interesting is the companies that are actually emerging at the other end of this crisis. If you're someone who is nervous that you might be in a position where you are facing a layoff, you feel like you're at risk, you're hearing the rumors, you're seeing the writing on the wall, the best advice I have for you is to make sure that you prepare. Take time now to inventory like all of the awesomeness that you contributed at your actual role. Make sure that you're getting numbers and writing everything down because on the other side of a layoff, you might have a harder time remembering all of those great things that are going to be really helpful for your resume, for your LinkedIn profile, and in the interview conversations that you'll have. Well, that's uh, some great words of advice, Jennifer. Much appreciated. So how can people uh, find you online and what are some of the uh, key projects you're currently working on for the new year? Cool. Well, I hang out on LinkedIn. I'm there pretty much all day, every day, like a total LinkedIn nerd. I also have a YouTube channel, as Max so nicely mentioned at the beginning of our conversation. And this year, I was actually really excited. At the end of last year, I finally launched my Career Glow Up program. This is really about going from accidental to intentional about your career success, You know, figuring out what that awesome thing is and why you are the unique talent that every company should hire and promote. And if anyone is interested in learning more. Do you mind if I say the the link, Max? Absolutely. Yeah, go for it. Oh, okay. Awesome. So if you if that is something that is interesting to you, then it's uh, careerglowup.com. Oh, great. How come uh, you don't use your last name as a tagline? Like why do you, you do like, I help you build your career brick by brick or something like that? Oh my God. I literally never thought of that. <laughs> I have to redo all of my branding, Max. What the heck? <laughs> Well, my, my How did I overlook this? Marketing, right? So I just thought, like Jennifer Brick, like you know, building your foundation, like you build a house with bricks, right? So I said, why don't you build it with Jennifer brick by brick, right? So I thought it would be. I oh my gosh! Like, yeah. I, you are a genius. I'm going to have to update my LinkedIn headline now. I have used bricks in like imagery, <laughs> but I have never literally thought to integrate the word. I can't believe that I 
didn't have that idea. You were so smart. Well, you gave us a lot of value, so I want to give you at least a marketing tidbit <laughs> on uh, with my expertise, right? So. Awesome, thank you. All right, well, yeah. So thank you for um, coming on, and uh, thank you again for all our listeners uh, listening to this interview. And best of luck for everybody in 2021. I know COVID has been a thorn on our side for most of 2020, but the, the finish line is uh, almost here. Uh, we're getting the vaccine, so hopefully it won't be for it will be only for a few more months, and hopefully we can return to some of a normal and start growing our careers. So again, thank you for coming on, Jennifer, and best of luck with your uh, new program. Great, thanks for having me, Max. Talking about layoffs is always an uncomfortable topic, but it needs to be discussed as tons of professionals over the past year have been laid off due to COVID. So I wanted to bring Jennifer on here to discuss different strategies and how to cope with being laid off. And I think a lot of people that are listening right now could benefit from her words of wisdom. To recap today's conversation, these are three to four takeaways that I wanted to share with you as a bit of a recap of the show. First is when it comes to layoffs don't take it personal it's usually the higher ups that tell your manager to lay people off and it's always going to be an unpleasant conversation that nobody wants to have whether it's hr or your manager and they usually want to do what they can to help you uh, during this conversation whether it's providing you with a reference or knowing somebody in another company that you could get another interview with. So they will do what they can to help you. So don't take it personal and do not try to burn bridges at this time or get too charged up during this conversation. Once you get laid off and you're at home, it's best to take a break, take some time, do some self-reflection, try to get some clarity in terms of your next steps on where you want to go in your career. And most of all, tell your family or tell the person that you're living with, if you are living with someone, about what's currently going on so they can emotionally support you and give you what you need in order for you to get back on your feet. In terms of going back to school during this time, if you got laid off, a lot of professionals want to get their MBA as more of a stopgap for their employment gap, so to speak. If the MBA is what you really want to do, then by all means go for it. But there are so many other options now that are cheaper in terms of education, such as boot camps, And these boot camps provide you more technical skills than what an MBA could do. So with that being said, take a look at some boot camps that could sharpen up your skills for the more demand skills that are currently in demand in the marketplace. And finally, this is a unprecedented time. The virus has wiped out a lot of jobs. And with that being said, Jennifer said that this is more of a get out of jail free card right now. So if they have, if they do see employment gaps in your resume right now, they probably know it has to do with COVID. So with that being said, don't try to over explain. This is a common situation right now. So just do your best in explaining quickly the situation about getting laid off and then discussing how you're being proactive to get back into the workplace. So there is a lot of empathy right now for professionals that have it laid off due to COVID. So don't worry about it. Just keep in the hunt and sell your story of why you are a good candidate for the next employer that you're interviewing at. With all that being said, I hope you find today's discussion useful and I'll see you next time.